Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethay, coming to you on a day of mourning for Falcons fans everywhere. Mourning a regular season loss so incredibly, epically heartbreaking that it could only happen to an Atlanta team. So this weekend, Football Notebook is supposed to be a place where I summarize all of the highlights for football around the state. So I was going to talk about Georgia Tech's performance against the UCF Knights, where we saw some good things out of that vaunted freshman running back Jameer Gibbs who I personally have coached against and I was going to talk about the improvements in Georgia State's defense and maybe even do a little bit of looking ahead to the quarterback battle at UGA going into their game next week against Arkansas but then Sunday afternoon in Dallas happened a a football event of seismic proportions and well it just kind of seemed like that was a thing that needed to be addressed first and foremost so without bearing the lead, let's dive right into this disastrous, awful loss by the Atlanta Falcons at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys. So starting from the beginning, this was a game that coming into the season you knew was very likely going to be a loss. Just You knew there was going to be some struggles on defense with the young secondary. And then after watching the struggles of the Falcons secondary against the Seattle Seahawks in week one, you know, giving up 450-ish passing yards to Russell Wilson, you kind of expect – Dak Prescott, Michael Gallup, and Amari Cooper to have a pretty good day. And if I told you going into the game that the Falcons lost a shootout with Dallas 40-39, to you would have said, oh, well, that's about right. But it's the way they did it that was just so sickening. So to quickly recap the game, uh, the Falcons jumped out to a 20-0 to lead early on in the game because Dallas had three early fumbles uh, and nearly forced another one, two of them forced by Foyer Lubicon, which is important. We'll come back to that. And uh, the Falcons were very efficient on offense, very consistent, ran the ball very effectively. Um, They didn't have huge chunk yardage, but ended up with like 113 rushing yards, which I don't know how many games the Falcons had over 100 rushing yards all of last year. Um, Inexplicably, early in the game, we decided to go for a two-point conversion to make it 28-10. to We missed and ended up being 26 to 10 and ended up we need that one point later on in the game. So Atlanta's up big. Dallas' offense gets rolling in the second. Ezekiel Elliott starts running effectively. um, But the Falcons continue to answer with either points or just some sustained drives that really helped with field position. So it wasn't as if Dallas was running up and down the field in Atlanta and then we'd get the ball back and do nothing. We were able to move the ball some and still get a field goal here, field goal there. But then Ricardo Allen goes down, or excuse me, Tap McKinley goes down first. Then Foyer Lucon gets cramps in the second quarter. He goes down after forcing two fumbles and just missed forcing a third. Um, they ruled Pollard down on like the first or second possession of the game, a oh, series of the game. And then Ricardo Allen goes down, and the Falcons are forced to abandon their dime package, which is what had essentially been pretty effective at slowing down the Cowboys' offense early on. So. Atlanta has to change their defensive strategy. Dak heats up, starts shredding the defense, and the Falcons starts trading touchdowns for field goals with Dallas. Now, the sky doesn't really fall out until Julio drops a wide-open touchdown pass from uh, out of the Wildcat. It was a throw from Russell Gage on a Wildcat quarterback play. It was brilliantly designed. They caught Dallas in zero coverage. Julio's in the slot, runs a slot fade. Russell throws a dime that Julio alligator arms bounces right off his hands and 
He catches that ball. He scores, and the game's over. Um, instead, Atlanta ends up kicking a field goal, and this Dallas goes down and scores. And then the world officially ends with the onside kick of doom, which we'll come back to. So as many people have already pointed out, Atlanta is the first team in NFL history to score 39 points, have a plus three turnover ratio, and lose. That is so Atlanta. Literally no other team but Atlanta sports team could lose a game like that. Um, depending on who you check, the stats go that teams that with, that have had a 393 plus turnover margin are somewhere between 440 and 0, 40, 440 and 0 and 458 and 0 depending on which stats you checked and now it is 440 or 458 and 1 with the one being our good old Falcons. That said, it really wasn't all bad. Um the offensive line really did play well. They kept Matt Ryan upright. He was only sacked once the entire game. The run blocking was good in the first half and the Falcons actually ran more than they passed in the first five to six series of the game. They ended the game with 37 passes and 34 runs, which is a level bounce that, you know, they talked about, but you didn't know if you would actually see. Uh, They did suffer a lot of uh, semi-major injuries with, you know, Matt Gano had to fill in for Caleb McGarry and actually looked really good. Uh, Matt Ryan made great decisions. He had no turnovers, um, and he even scrambled for a couple of first downs. Instead of sliding like one yard short, like we got used to him doing for like the first nine years of his career, and it's crazy that Matt Ryan has only thrown one interception in ninety attempts so far this season, and that one interception was a hail mary in the last play of the game against the Seahawks. So uh, Ryan's currently second in the NFL in touchdown passes, second in the NFL in passing yards. Um, Calvin Ridley is actually leading the NFL in receiving yards and is second in catches, and he leads the NFL in touchdowns and first down catches. So he is playing absolutely out of his mind. And the truth is, when you have Ridley becoming a legit number one receiver, you prolong the career of Julio Jones. So the good thing is that the Falcons have what, by all intents and purposes, is appears to be a top five offense. Currently sitting at number six in points, but after the game between uh, Las Vegas and New Orleans, who are both tied for fourth. Uh, one of them is going to drop. So they're essentially a top-five offense. Right now, sixth in points and uh, fourth in total yards. And that's very important to know because as frustrated as fans are right now with how bad the Falcons are on defense and how they seem to be completely inept at winning close games and making the right plays when it counts, that, off, that level of offense is a pretty good indicator of what their ceiling is for the season, which we'll get to later. So back to what went right. The Falcons really punished uh, Dallas on play action, using a lot of the boot action that was such a huge part of the Shanahan offense, and it really led to a lot of chunk plays. And it's just kind of ironic to think back to 2015 when fans hated all the bootlegs, talking about why is Matt Ryan rolling out the throw? He's not mobile, and now it's become something that he's super adept at and something that we're screaming for them to do more of because he didn't do a lot of it last year. And um, he was even able to hit a big chunk play to Hayden Hurst for a 40 or 50 yard for a touchdown, the tight end throwback play that they've run for years here in Atlanta. Um, again, Calvin really dominated. And overall, the Falcons through two weeks are a legit top five offense. And another thing that needs to be mentioned is the defense forced three turnovers in the first four possessions for Dallas. 
And the 4-2-5 did a really good job of keeping everything in front of them in the first half. Uh, the standouts in the first half were probably Darquez Denard and Foyer Luicon. Denard was actually really good playing in the slot. And Foyer forced two fumbles, just missed forcing a third, as I mentioned earlier. And Denard was super active, made a lot of tackles. I think he ended up with seven tackles and was around the ball a lot. Grady Jarrett was typical Grady Jarrett. He was basically unblockable for the first three quarters. And a side note that John Kaminsky got to play a lot after Tack went out, and he was actually good, although he didn't provide a lot of pass rush. He just overall played a pretty solid game. Now, the bad. So Dallas was starting two backup tackles, and Atlanta only managed one sack. We had lots of pressure early and managed four quarterback hits, which is 14 QB hits through two games, which is really a solid number. But we weren't really able to get Dak Prescott on the ground, and and we pretty much completely disappeared rushing the passer in the second half. And another thing that was quite abundantly clear, as it was clear in week one, is that Isaiah Oliver is the weak link in the secondary. He does make some plays, but his good play to bad play ratio is like 50-50. And that's just not good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, especially in the division the Falcons play in. A.J. Terrell is going to be really good on the other side, and he looks he looks like a rookie, but like a very good rookie. And, but if Oliver can't figure it out, the Falcons really need to consider bumping Darquez Denard, out, Darquez Denard outside to Oliver's spot once Kendall Sheffield gets back from his hamstring injury. And then the other bad thing was the injuries. Um, Tack and Foye went out in the first half, and Rico went out in the third, Ricardo Allen that is, in. When Foyer went out, the Falcons went into their dime package. They you know, started their nickel package with Aluakon and Deion Jones on the field in three safeties. When Foyer went out, they went to a dime package playing Darquez Denard as a dime back and were still able to be somewhat successful. The Cowboys, of course, as they should, started running the ball down the Falcons' throats, but they were able to still avoid big plays and keep everything in front of us. Then when Ricardo Allen goes down in the third, Atlanta has to abandon their three-safety dime package, and Michael Walker has to come into the game as the nickel linebacker, which is the position Keanu Neal was playing earlier in the game. And Neal had to bump back to his true safety spot. That that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> Neal was out of position a few times in play action, which is no shocker if you know the way he plays. And he took some really bad angles. A few times he gave away a route because he was chasing the, the stretch uh, action in the backfield. And I look back at one point in the fourth quarter, and I see Keanu Neal lined up as a single high safety. We're in man-free, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. this is, th- There's no way this is the game plan coming into this matchup. And I share this because all of these things contributed to Dallas absolutely roasting our defense in the fourth quarter. Roasting our defense to the tune of 570 yards of offense. So typically when you have a lead – like Atlanta had, you'll play soft coverage, give up a lot of underneath routes, tackle the team, tackle the routes, and then let teams pad their stats, but take like a really long time to score. And when you do that, you end up giving up a lot of yards that frustrates the people watching, but you end up winning by usually a score because the team just runs out of time. Well, instead, Dallas made two or three just circus catches. Gallup had one on the sideline that was just ridiculous. Um, and Atlanta ends up giving one or two legit chunk plays where we just got beat or blew a coverage. And all of a sudden, the Falcons are having to defend an onside kick to walk away with the win. The onside kick. Oh, boy. Um, so, you remember that one point we said the Falcons went for early in the game they didn't have to? Yeah. So, the result of that is that the Falcons were up 
39 to 37, 37 with seconds left on the clock as Dallas tries an onside kick. And if Atlanta simply goes for one and kicks the extra point early in the game, they're up 40 to 37, meaning that what ensued after this onside kick would not have lost in the game. At worst, they go to overtime. So after the onside kick itself, at this point, everybody in the world's seen it. Just to give you a little background on football strategy and how this actually works, it is actually a strategy that when an onside kick is spinning like that, you coach your hands team not to touch it because if it doesn't go 10 yards, it can't be recovered by the other team. Now, the caveat for that is usually you don't do that when a ball is spinning, oh, I don't know, half a mile per hour, three inches from you. I'm looking at you, Alameda Zacchaeus. The general rule is that, you know, you don't want to jump on a ball that's still bouncing, have it carry them off your chest, and then go to the opposing team, which is why you're typically told, you know, if it's not close to going 10, let it go. And so with that Zerline kick just spinning and spinning and spinning, I'm sh- it honestly did not look like it was going to go 10. But this is the point at which anybody that has a brain on the Falcon sideline has to yell, just fall on it. Just fall on it. That It was not going to bounce off your chest. It's spinning sideways on the ground. Just fall on it. We didn't. Dallas gets the ball, runs one pass play down the sideline where uh, I think AJ Terrell falls down. They're in field goal range, and then Zerline bombs away the game winner. And we're all here saying only Atlanta could lose a game this way. So any of you that listen to this podcast know that I am typically Mr. Sunshine and Optimism. And I'll be honest with you, struggling to find optimism here. Uh, this was a frustrating loss, as bad a regular season loss as I can ever remember seeing. And... The disappointment is that you did so many things right, and yet you still managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. (laughs) How does that even happen? So as bad as this is, if I'm taking a big picture perspective, you step back and you realize the Falcons were probably always going to start the season 0-2, playing Russell Wilson with what was going to be a young secondary. You knew you could potentially lose that game at home. You hoped you would play well enough to win, but you didn't. You got shredded. You knew going on the road to Dallas was probably going to be a loss. And so, realistically, Atlanta was probably always going to start the season going 4-7. and seven. Now, I'm one of the people that thought they could probably rally to like a 4-1 second half just because they've been so good in the division. I thought they could finish 8-8 eight and eight and make the playoffs. I still think that's probably a fairly likely outcome. But, man, games like this make it so much harder. And for those of you that think I'm bonkers for saying that Atlanta is probably still a playoff team, you have to understand this. The Falcons have a legit top five offense. By the end of the year, it might be even higher than that. They might have a top three offense. And top five offenses guarantee you seven wins. The only team in the last five years to have a top five offense and miss the playoffs was last year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that's because they had a quarterback that threw for 30 interceptions. So you have to understand that you more or less pencil in the Falcons for eight wins, which in a year where there's an extra wild card spot, probably gets you in. And so assuming normal health, you can pretty much predict how the rest of the Falcons season is going to go. They're going to outscore the teams with mediocre quarterbacks and then lose in shootouts to the teams with good quarterbacks. So the Falcons just gave up back-to-back 400-yard games to really good quarterbacks, which is worth noting. 
And the difference will be that teams like Denver, L.A., and Las Vegas will go for 315 and two touchdowns, while Brady and Breeze are going to go for 425 and four touchdowns. So, again, the hope is that you outscore the Detroits, the Las Vegases, the Denvers, and you can get to eight wins that you need to make the wild card. Having said all that, when you're six years into a coaching tenure as a defensive guru, and you've only produced, you know, basically a year and a half of competent football on the defensive side of the ball, really makes you wonder if that coach is worth keeping around. And I've been on the defend Dan Quinn bandwagon, but man, it's getting harder and harder. And many of you I've talked to have already made it clear that you don't want Dan Quinn around. Um, and again, I've explained why I don't think it's worth firing him right now. I mean, just firing him right now accomplishes you nothing. You can't get a new head coach right now. This is probably still a playoff team. So let it run its course. Let the Falcons rally, lose in the first round, and then let's clean house and embrace the fact that we just wasted another year of prime Matt Ryan and prime Julio. And remember that as much as it stinks, this is the lot we have agreed to as Atlanta sports fans. This is Dave Bethay for the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.